You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Thank you, Max, and welcome to the final episode of Talking Liberties with the ACLU for 2018. Now that we are in the holiday season, it's important to remember that in this country, everyone has the right to ask for help. And that's our topic for today the ACLU of Illinois' advocacy to repeal unconstitutional panhandling ordinances from all across the state of Illinois, and the Trump administration's proposed changes to the public charge rule for immigrants and newcomers. We are pleased to be joined in discussing these issues by our colleague Rebecca Glenberg, senior staff attorney at the ACLU of Illinois. So Rebecca, welcome to our program. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Well, thank you. So let me just start out by by just asking, why does the ACLU care about panhandling? Why, why is it a civil liberties issue? Well, uh, there are a couple of things. From the civil liberties standpoint, the First Amendment, the right to free speech, is the most immediate problem that we have with the laws that regulate panhandling. Panhandling is a form of speech, whether the person uses words like can you spare some change, or whether the person is holding a sign or even just holding out their hand. They are communicating, and that communication is protected, and the First Amendment prohibits restrictions on saying that message. And have we seen in the past efforts by communities to limit that speech? Is that how the ACLU ends up getting involved in these issues? Yes, There are many, many cities and towns in Illinois that have regulations on panhandling, and they vary a great deal. Chicago, until recently, regulated what they call aggressive panhandling. Other cities may regulate panhandling near roads or medians, and a few places even just ban panhandling altogether. And What is the rationale that a community uses oftentimes in terms of banning this? This is something we see in in many, many places around the country or around the state. So what's the rationale for attempting to ban this altogether? So the rationale typically is public safety. And that is a very poor rationale because cities and towns have all sorts of ways of protecting public safety. There are many state laws and ordinances that protect our public safety. And targeting the particular speech of panhandlers does not accomplish that. It's it's regulating people's conduct that protects our public safety. So the ordinances are unnecessary to stop behaviors of someone approaching you, physically touching you, things of that nature, which I think is what you're alluding to in terms of why it is that these laws get passed in the first instance? Yes. Well, at least that's the rationale that is usually offered by the city or town that's enacting the ordinance. We think in in virtually every case, it's really more about people's discomfort seeing homeless people around downtown or being asked for money and being sort of confronted by the difference between this person's circumstances and their own, and in particular by local 
businesses who fear that these people hanging around who seem really undesirable um, is going to lose them business. So there was a Supreme Court decision that, as I understand it, was not related to panhandling itself, uh, Reed versus the town of Gilbert, but has affected panhandling laws. I wonder if you could talk about what that that is and how it intersects with panhandling ordinances. Sure. So this is a 2015 case called Reed versus Town of Gilbert, and it had to do with sign ordinances. And many cities have very complicated sign ordinances, you might not expect, but they do, where uh, the signs have all these different categories. And sometimes the categories are things like um, what material it's made of, does it have flashing lights, how big it is. And other categories of signs have to do with the function of the sign. Is it a for sale sign? Is it a political sign? Is it a religious message? And all of these um, local governments regulate these various kinds of signs in different ways. So maybe the for sale sign can only be a certain size and up for a certain amount of time, whereas a different kind of sign can be bigger and be there longer. Mm -hmm. So what the court held in Reed is that the category of signs, categories of signs based on what the sign says as opposed to its physical characteristics, are presumptively unconstitutional. And that those kinds of categories based on what the speech says may only be enacted if they are necessary to achieve a compelling government interest. And this had sort of been the law before, but courts interpreted that in a lot of different ways. And the court in this case made clear that if the law is based on what the message is, it has to be held to this very high standard of scrutiny. So how does that get translated then? Uh, the, the municipality is limited in terms of, of what limits it can place. How does that get applied then to panhandling ordinances? It applies to panhandling ordinances because all of these ordinances are directed at only one specific message. Just someone asking for help. Exactly. Please help. Right. So it is very much based on the actual message of the person. Now, what they do is they pair that with certain kinds of conduct. So it's asking for help while also say, following someone closely behind them. Mm -hmm. And that's the offense. And certainly, you can prohibit people from following each other closely in a stalkery manner, but you can't tie that to what they're saying. It can't be criminal because it's you're doing it while asking for money. Okay. So, this decision and the way that gets applied to panhandling has led the ACLU with some other organizations to contact a series of communities across Illinois. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what went into that decision and how you identified and how you singled out these communities. Yeah, so this court case, as I said, came out in 2015. It's now 2018. And by this time, many courts have ruled 
on panhandling ordinances and how that particular Supreme Court decision affects their constitutionality. So we have a very big and clear body of case law striking down these ordinances of all types. So we, along with other organizations, both locally and nationally, decided it would be a good time to contact cities with these ordinances and tell them, look, you got to change these. The time for these kinds of ordinances is done. And you're looking at potentially serious consequences if you keep them on the books. So we chose a number of cities in Illinois, what, 15? 15. Yeah. And those were cities that we had previously identified as having these terrible laws and sometimes really even extreme versions of them. And most of them are relatively high population cities. So we also figured that the panhandling laws there were probably affecting a lot of people. So when you say they were really restrictive or they were that, were there places that actually banned panhandling altogether? Yes, Some places actually did ban panhandling altogether, and sometimes it was in a ordinance called panhandling that would say panhandling is not permitted anywhere in the city. And sometimes it was hidden within other ordinances, and particularly the disorderly conduct ordinance. Disorderly conduct ordinance lists a whole bunch of behaviors that you're not allowed to do in public, and some of them would just put begging right there in the middle of the list. So let me just go down this list for a second. Let me just talk about the cities that were selected. And then I want to ask you about the letters and and sort of what's happened. So uh, among those that were contacted for their ordinances were Chicago, Oak Park, Peoria, Urbana, Aurora, Decatur, Elgin, East St. Louis, Cicero, Champaign, Carbondale, Danville, Joliet, Moline, and Rockford. So that is based on both population and geographic diversity across the state. It shows that this was pretty widespread in communities uh, everywhere. Yes, it absolutely is very widespread. And there are undoubtedly many, many more of these across the state. We really only looked at the higher population places. So what happened as the result of these letters? We were very fortunate that a number of places repealed their panhandling ordinances. It was hard for them not to once they looked at the case law and how clear it is that these ordinances were unconstitutional. So the places that have repealed their ordinances are Oak Park, Peoria, Urbana, Aurora, Decatur, and amazingly, Chicago. So the largest city in the state had one of these ordinances and has repealed it. That's correct. And this will affect so many people in Chicago, as you can imagine. How were these enforced in that way? Like in the city of Chicago, would there have been people who would have been arrested or ticketed? How was someone punished for one of these ordinances? It's typically a ticket and a fine and... Typically, those add up because the person who is asking for money does not have any money. Right. 
Yeah, in, in, in other instances, you don't really even have to write the ticket because the police officer or even the surrounding businesses have the authority to say, you know, get out of there or or else, or else I'll call the police or else you'll get a ticket. Right. So um, the six communities you mentioned all repealed these ordinances. Out of the 15, that's that's a pretty good success rate. What happened with some of the others? Well, in Elgin and East St. Louis, they told us that they immediately stopped enforcing the panhandling ordinance while they reviewed it. And in Elgin, they've explicitly said they expect to repeal it. They just haven't done it yet. So that's pretty good. We would like them to repeal the ordinances because, you know, six months later, you may forget that you said you weren't going to enforce it. And uh, Cicero and Champagne told us that they are reviewing the ordinances. And the remaining communities, Carbondale, Danville, Joliet, Moline, Rockford, just have not responded. So if if someone is listening to this um, and they're from one of those last group of communities, Carbondale, Danville, Joliet, Moline, or Rockford, or they're somewhere in some other community and they wonder what their ordinance is, how would they go about raising this with their town officials? What would you suggest they say or do? Well, you might first try contacting the town or city clerk who can probably direct you to the right ordinance to look at. You can also go to the ACLU of Illinois' websites where we have the letters that we sent that provide a little more explanation about why these are unconstitutional. And then you can go ahead and start contacting your elected officials, your mayor, your alderman, your supervisor, whatever whatever they are. Give them a call, write them a letter, send an email, and get other people to do it. And if you have an organization like Indivisible or something similar in your community, perhaps a faith-based group that is concerned about poor people in the community, they may be helpful allies and may be willing to bring more people to the, to the fight. One of the things I should say is is that also on the website at aclu-il.org, we have a set of talking points about how you could have that conversation with someone and and the things that you might say that gives you a little more information um, beyond just trying to read through the individual letters. One of the things I wanted to know is, you know, you, you've had this success with the communities that have repealed and the communities who are thinking about it and you hope will the ones who are recalcitrant, who haven't responded in any way. So what does the ACLU and its allies do with those? What do you, how do you move forward there? Well, that's to be determined. There are a lot of options. Um, we certainly hope that, particularly with this string of successes, the other communities will sort of get a move on. Because, as I said, it's really incontrovertible that the ordinances are unconstitutional. If that doesn't happen, then certainly litigation is a possibility, especially if we hear from someone in those communities who has either been ticketed for panhandling or 
is afraid to panhandle even if they feel that they really need to because of the ordinance. So one of the things I can imagine someone saying in in one of these communities that haven't responded or in in some communities is, look, we have this problem with the homeless. Um, it disrupts, you know, commerce in our main commercial area or uh, it somehow is troubling to people. What do you say to folks about addressing the situation if you can't do it, you know, through panhandling ordinances such as this? What does the ACLU suggest in terms of a way to approach these issues? So you can't legislate homeless people out of your city. Mm -hmm. The best thing you can do is make them not homeless anymore. And lots of cities have come up with creative solutions that really seem to be working, including just giving someone an apartment, which appears to be less costly than attending to all of their needs as a homeless person, like emergency room visits and so forth. There are national organizations like um, the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty also have a lot of solutions. They know what's been tried, what works, what doesn't work. And you can go to their websites to get that information and also to find out where you can get more information or even where someone might be able to help you come up with a plan that suits your particular city. At the end of all of this, I want to come back to kind of where we started in talking about this issue. This really is about the idea, is it not, that government can't sort of limit someone from asking for help, that that's still legal at the end of the day. That's absolutely right. So with that restated, um, let me move to a different issue. And it's one that's been in the news of late, uh, the so-called public charge with regards to immigration policy and an attempt to change that at the federal level. What is a public charge and, and how do you see it interacting with these issues about people being able to get or seek help? So the United States has for quite a while had this sort of rule about that someone's application for a green card or for citizenship can be denied if they're likely to become a public charge, which means typically dependent on the government and unable to support themselves. So what we um, have under consideration right now is the Department of Homeland Security's new guidelines on the public charge rule, which would make that rule a lot harsher. So the consequence of the DHS rule is that if you are an immigrant who is either currently using or has in the past used any kind of government-funded assistance such as Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, etc., that can be enough to render you forever ineligible for a green card or for um, citizenship. So this could have an impact on a wide range of people seeking lawful residence here in the United States. Yes. So it could exclude a lot of people from getting a legal status. It also can and is very likely to, and I think already is, deterring a lot of people from asking for help when they really need it. 
both for themselves and for their kids. And does it have an adverse impact on, uh, you said Social Security, so it just makes me wonder, people who are elderly or people who are disabled? Yeah, I mean, anyone who fears deportation or loss of immigration status is going to be much less likely to apply for public benefits even if they really need them. And so, yes, certainly people with disabilities may not get either the money or the resources to live independently or live at all. They may just go without. So when we think about this issue of a public charge and we think about Uh, panhandling ordinances. Do you think those issues are related? Yeah, absolutely. I think we as a nation tend to be extremely uncomfortable with people in need. It's fine if we only have to think about them abstractly, but when we see people on a daily basis who are clearly suffering Uh, and particularly if you yourself are a person who's doing pretty well, it's extremely uncomfortable. And, you know, in the United States, there's this American dream sort of narrative where anyone can get ahead through hard work, and if you are in those circumstances, it's probably your own fault. And that's a very sort of pernicious worldview when it comes to people who are in need, either through poverty or disability or other reasons. Extreme poverty and hardship is something that could happen to virtually anyone, and we don't want to be reminded of that. Yeah, it is a good reminder, uh, not only on these issues, but on a host of others as well. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca, so much for coming in and talking with us today. Sure, Ed, anytime. And thank you all for listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois, both this episode and all the ones we produced throughout 2018. We'll be back in the new year. I'd like to thank our guest for today, Rebecca Glenberg, Senior Staff Attorney at the ACLU of Illinois. Talking Liberties was produced by Max Bever. Executive producer Chris Olson. Today's episode was mixed by Philip Von During. Our executive director is Colleen Connell. You can subscribe to this podcast and rate us. You can visit our website at aclu-il.org, where you can listen to other episodes of this podcast as well as find more information about our work on panhandling ordinances. You can contact us directly at talkingliberties at aclu-il.org. Have a great new year, and we'll see you in 2019 on Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois.